Well, welcome back to our mini-series, uh, looking at the, uh, the Messiah in the book of Isaiah. And last week, uh, Stu brought us into Isaiah 6, where we saw the death of the king Uzziah. And although Uzziah had died, Judah was reminded that the real king of Judah wasn't a human king, but was actually the Messiah, was actually God himself. And as a result of Judah not obeying this king, they were to face judgment. Woe to them. But through that judgment, God would bring his people through the remnant, a stump would remain. Well, tonight we're going to flash forward about 15, 20 odd years to another king. His name is King Ahaz. And in his story, we're going to see three big things come through. Firstly, judgment. Secondly, comfort. And lastly, the Messiah will will come out. So let's look at the first one a bit. Judgment. And we'll see that in chapter 9, verse 1. So come with me to 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Sounds kind of positive. He's going to honor Galilee. He's going to honor the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, upper and lower Galilee. But why would he have to raise them up? What was the gloom that occurred that actually made them so humble? Well, to understand this picture better, we have to go back a couple of chapters, to chapter 7 and 8. And in there, we'll see that Israel at this point has been broken into two halves. The northern kingdom, called Israel, or sometimes Ephraim, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And we're in Judah now. Isaiah is in Judah. And at this particular point in history, Assyria was a superpower, and it was gobbling up all these small countries all around. And so Aram, which is also known as Syria, not to be confused with Assyria, They decide to form a coalition of a willing, if you like. So they got Israel involved, and they asked Judah to be involved as well, and they were going to go and stand up against Assyria. But when they got to Judah, the king of Judah, Ahaz, he said, no, I'm not going to join you guys. Instead, I'm actually going to go and form an alliance uh, with Assyria. Not even form an alliance. I'm going to become a vassal of Assyria. I'll pay them taxes. I'll even worship their gods. And as a result, they're going to protect me from you guys. And so God speaks to Ahaz through Isaiah, and more specifically, Isaiah's three sons. His three sons are here. Their name, the first son's name is Shear Jashub, which means a remnant will return. Isaiah is saying, trust God. Don't worship foreign gods. Don't pay tribute to foreign countries. Trust God. He will protect you from Aram, and he'll protect you from Israel, and he'll protect you from the Assyrians. Just keep worshiping him, keep honoring him. But if you don't, then a remnant will return. The bulk of you guys will be wiped out, but God will still be good to you. A remnant will come back. The second son, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we automatically think about Jesus, but in this particular case, it's one of the sons of Isaiah. God will be with you. He will defeat the attack from Aram, and he will defeat the attack from Israel. But if you don't listen to him, God will actually work against you as well. God is a holy God. He doesn't tolerate sin, and he'll judge you as well. And the third son's name is Masha Shalal Hashbaz. Let's just go on Baz. His name means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoils. In fact, one day, God is going to turn Aram and Israel into spoil and actually exile them off. And if you don't listen to him, Judah itself will become spoil. Assyria will come in like waters and rush all the way up to your neck, all the way up to Jerusalem. But a remnant will return. Jerusalem will be spared. Well, Ahaz decided to go with, 
with world wisdom, he'd go with his gut feelings and form this alliance with Assyria. And sure enough, in 735, uh, the two kingdoms of Aram and, uh, Aram and Israel attacked Israel. And sure enough, in 733, before the child Emmanuel was even old enough to work out what's right and wrong, God used this guy, Tiglath-Pileser III, to stop their attack. And in 722 BC, a new king in Assyria came, Sargon II, and he actually defeated totally Israel and Aram and deported them. They became spoil, became an exile. And sure enough, in 701, another king called Sennacherib from Assyria came back to attack Judah, and they sieged Jerusalem. He wiped out Judah and came all the way up to the neck, but he didn't get to take over Jerusalem because a remnant would be spared. And that God killed 185,000 of his Syrian troops and they had to retreat. And Jerusalem was spared even though Judah itself was devastated. Everything that God said would happen did happen. Now for Aram, for Ahaz, he was in a bit of a tight pickle because he's a bit like this mop. I don't know what you call it, a broom, a mop, electrostatic, very good. Um, he was told that three things would happen that God would actually blunt the attack of Aram and Syria, that he would actually deport Assyria and, uh, Syria and Israel, and also he would actually judge Judah itself all the way up to the neck. So he knew these things were going to happen, and in history we can actually see them happen. But Ahaz didn't have the point of view that we had. All he could see was down the neck of his timeline. These things are going to happen, but we, he doesn't know exactly when, he doesn't know exactly how, and so what's he going to do? He's going to trust Isaiah, he's going to trust God, or he's going to go with the wisdom of the world. He's going to go with his gut feel. And Ahaz decided to listen to himself and the world and not God. Ahaz made a bad call. Now, we too are living in a world where the world tells us how to protect ourselves, how to advance our careers, how to uh, retire well, uh, how to um, make sure our kids grow up well and get ahead in life. The world tells us all of these things that we should live by, all the ways that we can look after ourselves. And God says, you know what? I have a different set of values. I value honesty. I value generosity. I value compassion. But they're not often the ways to get ahead. And so we too are faced with a choice. Listen to God and believe what he says because he'll make it right in the end or go with the world's wisdom, go with our own gut feeling. Will we learn from Ahaz? He made a bad call. He should have listened to God. Will we make the same mistake as Ahaz? Or will we listen to God knowing that while we can't see everything and how it's going to unfold, we can trust God to make them unfold, and we can listen to him, trust him, obey him. Well, that's the judgment bit over. And now we come to a section on comfort. The book of Isaiah itself is split into two rough halves, the book of judgment and the book of comfort, and this little mini section of Isaiah is the same. The judgment is over and comfort will come. Come with me to verse 2. It says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as a warrior rejoices when dividing up the plunder. As in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for the burning with fuel for the fire. Well, there will be judgment, but after judgment will come a day of comfort, and this day will be amazing. There's three angles that Isaiah takes us through. 
It takes them through. The first one is, on that day, the people won't live in darkness anymore. They'll actually know God, they'll actually listen to God and trust Him and love Him. Ahaz heard about God. Ahaz heard the word of God, but he didn't trust God. Later on in chapter 8, the people of Judah actually consult spiritualists and mediums and trust them instead of talking to the living God Himself to know how to live. But on that day, they won't make the same mistake. They will know God, they will love God, they will listen to God. The second picture we get is one of plenty. Now, back in those days, a time of war, a time of conflict, it was said that Emmanuel, this boy, would grow up eating curds and honey. Curds is like yogurt. I had to look that up. Curds and honey. Now, that sounds pretty good, and I'm sure the revived guys would think, yeah, yogurt and honey, perfect, I love that. But even for them, after a while, they get sick of it, and certainly that's not a diet that's healthy for anyone. But why was this Emmanuel child eating curds and honey? It's because the land was devastated. There was no more agriculture. There were no crops. There were no more grains. There was very little meat. They had cows, but they used them for milk. And because of that, everything was in scarce. It was scarce there. But on that day of comfort, they won't be living in scarcity anymore. On that day of comfort, there will be plenty for all. And they were looking forward to that. And lastly, they were told that on that day, there will be no more fighting. They won't fear Syria or Israel anymore. They won't fear the Assyrians either. Because just like back in the book of Judges, where the Midians were defeated by Gideon, so too God would deliver them from their enemies. But this time, this peace will last forever. More judges had to be raised to defeat more enemies. But on that day of comfort, there will be no more war. The warriors can burn their boots, can burn their shields, can burn their swords. There will be peace forever. Now, how is this going to come about? Two weeks ago, we celebrated Armistice Day, the end of a First World War, the end of a Great War, the war that was going to end all wars. But after the First World War, they set up the League of Nations, and the League of Nations was supposed to stop wars from happening. How did that turn out? Well, not so good, because obviously we had the Second World War. And after the terrors and the horrors of the Second World War, the League of Nations became the United Nations, and one of their charters is actually to stop wars from happening. This is why this is a statue that's outside the United Nations building in New York City. It's a man beating his sword into a plowshare. There'll be no more wars. But even now, years after the Second World War, there are dozens of armed conflicts all around the world. How is this peace going to be brought about? How is this day of comfort going to come when people are going to listen to God again, when there'll be no scarcity in the world, where there'll be no more war and conflict in the world? What organization do we have to create which is better, stronger than the United Nations to stop war? How is this peace going to come about? We see that in verse 6. In verse 6 it says this, For unto us a child is born, for us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Which organization is going to come up to bring about this day of comfort? No organization. Just a child, just a boy, the Messiah. 
And this child can do it because he's no ordinary child. He's special. He's got four names, four titles, if you like. The first title is he's going to be called the Wonderful Counselor. Uh, when I was younger, I used to read this and think, wow, he's going to be a really good psychologist. He's going to be a counselor. He's going to listen to my problems. And I can pray to him every night and tell him my woes. Um, and that's true, right? 1 Peter says, uh, cast all your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. But in this particular case, that's not what Isaiah is talking about. He's saying this guy's going to be an advisor. This guy's going to be wise. He's going to be a wonderful giver of wisdom. Not just wonderful, but wondrous, godlike in his wisdom. He will know everything. And if you ask him, He'll provide you the right information, the right advice. God-like counselor, God-like wisdom. The second title of this, this guy is that he's going to be a mighty God. Right? There's lots of gods back in those days, Assyrian gods, Babylonian gods, Roman gods. This guy would be God, the one true God, and he will be mighty. He'll be the Lord of hosts. He'll protect his people. He'll fight for his people, and he will win. You're safe with this child because he is mighty God. And the next title he has is he's going to be the everlasting father. Now, when we read this, it looks a bit weird because it's, it's a child, it's a, it's, a, it's a boy. How can he be a father as well? What do we make of this? <clears throat> well, a long time ago, some guys thought, well, here we go. It just means that the father and the son are the same person. Yeah? Uh, so God is kind of like water. Um, he, he's kind of like ice and water and steam, and, and he appears in different modes. And right now we have father and the son being the same person, and therefore the Trinity is not, not real. God just appears in different modes, and these guys were called heretics. Um, they're modalists. Now, my son, actually, we were doing a Bible study one night before bed, uh, and uh, my, I said to uh, my kids, well, you know what? The Trinity is a hard concept. No one really understands it totally, perfectly, but it's definitely in the Bible. That God is three persons, one God. And my five-year-old at the time, he said, I understand the Trinity. I said, oh, really? Okay, what is it like? And he said, it's like my Lego three in one. This Lego 3-in-1 is where you have a block of bricks and you can make it into a plane. The same bricks then become a boat. You can undo it and then make a, a car. Right? And so God, it's like Lego 3-in-1. I'd say, ah, yes, this is a, a five-year-old um, modalist. <laughs> but then he said, but you can keep all three pieces at the same time. You can have this 3-in-1 as a boat, a plane, and a car. I was thinking, whoa, that's not bad. I might, I might run that by more college to see what they think. <laughs> but is Isaiah talking about the Trinity here? Well, not really. He's describing the attributes of his son. He's thinking more along the lines of Psalm 103. Right? Now, most of us probably can't recall Psalm 103, but we have a very good hymn that was written based on Psalm 103, and I'm sure most of us know that. The hymn, of course, is Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, and is written by a guy called Henry Francis Leite. And in verse 3 of this, uh, of this hymn, he says, Father-like, he tends and spares us. Well our feeble frame he knows. In his hands he gently bears us and rescues us from all our foes. This son, this child, is going to be a mighty, everlasting father to his people. He's going to know our frailties. He's going to know our weaknesses. He's going to know our sin. And he'll be gently, intimately loving us and caring for us and protecting us. This is what this, this child's going to be like. And the last title he gets is the Prince of Peace. We already saw that there'll be no more war on the Day of Comfort, but this guy's going to usher in a period of not just no more war, but peace, Jewish understanding of peace, shalom, wholeness, well-being. Not only will there be no conflict 
on a global military scale, even on an interpersonal scale, but there's going to be wholeness and completeness for all of the people who love God. And when this guy comes and provides all of these things, he will do it forever. Of his government, there will be no end. You see, all of us uh, have fathers and are our fathers or grandfathers, and we try and do the best for our kids. But at some point, the children exceed us. And so they, we start off strong looking after them, but eventually we get to a point where we're kind of similar and eventually they exceed us. Uh, CNN put out a, a bunch of photos a few years ago of a Chinese man who took a photo of his son when he was born and took a photo of his son every year for 28 years. So here are a few photos from that collection. There you go, 1986, a young father with his baby boy, he's going to protect this child, he's going to love this child, he's going to raise this child. By 1990, the child has grown up a bit, and the father, still strong man, wise man, he's going to teach this boy, he's going to raise this boy in a good way. But jump forward to 2013, and now the father, you can see, is getting a bit tubby, losing a bit of hair, and the son has grown up, and he's strong, and he can actually lift his own dad. And in 2015, you can see the guy's greying, he's a bit weaker, but the son has gone off and had his own son. And I suspect if we keep taking photos for the next 28 years, you'll come to a point where the son is the strong one and holding his father's hands at his deathbed. You see, oftentimes we think of when somebody looks after us, it's going to come, go through cycles where they start, looking up, uh, they start off looking after us, but eventually we end up looking after them. But in this case, in the case of this child, this son, he will do this forever and ever and ever. There will be no end. If we look around us in the world, we see so much conflict and so much brokenness. We see the need for organizations to provide food and counseling. And we look in our own lives, we see so much hurt and pain, so many broken relationships. But one day, when that day of comfort comes, all of the world's woes out there will be fixed, and all of our own personal hurts will be fixed by the Son who's going to come. So where do we find this child? How, we can, how can we usher in this day of comfort? Well, the answer is easy. It was in verse 1, wasn't it? If we look in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, then we will find him. So let me... And these guys grew up being told these stories about a guy who's going to come in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. They're going to come and come and come, being told by their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents. And we scroll forward 700 years, and Matthew tells us this. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of... Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, to the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those who's living in the land of a shadow of death, a light has dawned, and but from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Jesus is the promised one from 700 years ago in Isaiah. Now, I know you didn't need me to tell you this. I knew you knew this before you even came to church. But if just for one second, just imagine you're a first-century Jew. You've been told these fables about this guy who's going to come. And finally, you read Matthew, and he tells you he's actually arrived. And the day of comfort must be coming soon. In fact, Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's saying, you're saying, yes, that's fantastic. Finally, comfort, the day of comfort. Jesus says, repent. Now, this is a funny word, isn't it? Oftentimes, outside the church, it's used poorly, but also inside the church, sometimes we don't exactly know what it means, but all it means is turn around. Yeah? There is a God out there, and often, 
many of us in the world just ignore him or don't trust him or don't love him. And so the call is just to turn around and trust him and love him, listen to him, like Ahaz did not do. Now, some of us are in here thinking, oh, yeah, that's, this sounds pretty good, this day of comfort stuff. It's very exciting, it's good. I want to know more about it. Well, it's great that you're at church tonight. Thanks so much for coming and spending your Sunday evening with us. Uh, talk to your friend. Learn more about it. Talk to John, talk to myself, talk to somebody, and just learn more about this day of comfort and this Messiah, which has been predicted for 700 years or more at this point in Matthew. But for a lot of us, I think, we already know this stuff. We, you, you know, we know Jesus is the Messiah. Tom, you haven't told us anything new tonight. We already knew this stuff. You know, why did you just waste 25 minutes of my life? I'm never going to get back. Well, if you're like me, we know this stuff. But I suspect this stuff isn't front and center for us. The way that I live my life and probably the way that you live your life, this picture of a day of comfort coming and this picture of a Messiah is kind of in the back rear view mirror of our cars as we drive, the side mirrors. And we just look at it. We know it's there. We know it's true. But what's really occupying our attention is just the life and the world and just the busyness of, of life. And Jesus says, you know what? Repent. Change. Repent. Bring this to the front and center because, just like a lot of those mirrors say, objects in this mirror are a lot closer than they appear. The day of comfort is a lot closer than we might think. And so therefore it's time for us to live as if this this day of comfort is coming and accept it as a reality and listen to and love this Messiah. And that frees us up to do crazy things. You know, we can give like we did for Foundation Day. We can spend time with people who are hurting. We can pray for people. We can, we can encourage them. We can spend our time and our resources on things which no sane person would do because we know that day of comfort is coming. And we're going to get it all back, 10,000-fold. We will know God. There will be, no, there'll be plenty and there'll be, no, there'll be no war. There'll be peace. There'll be shalom. We can live boldly for God. We can live even recklessly for God because we know for certain the Messiah has ushered in the day when we're going to get it all back a thousandfold. So let me encourage you, as I've been rebuked and encouraged this week myself, to take this reality of the Messiah and this reality of the, this reality of a day of comfort away from the review mirror and back to the front and center of our life. Because Jesus came in and he said that the kingdom of heaven is near and the day of comfort will be coming soon. We know this for a fact. We can't see this timeline yet. All we can see is the same view as Ahaz saw. But we can trust Isaiah, we can trust Jesus, we can trust God that one day we will see it for what it is, but right now we just trust God. So will we make the same mistake as Ahaz? We don't have all the details, and so we won't trust him? Or will we actually choose to succeed where he has failed? Trust God, even though we don't see anything, because the Messiah has come, and he's ushering in a time of which will bring in the day of comfort. Amen.